You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw from the Molly and Haw Show on 670 The Score. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune covering the Bears. A newsy day, another one in this Bears offseason and... Dan, there's some developments with the offensive coordinator search. There's some developments with the 2024 schedule and just some other leftovers from the end of the season State of the Bears press conference at Howells Hall. Uh, Where do you want to start? Yeah, as I was explaining to my family this morning, the developments never stop. That faucet, David, as you know, is always on. And so when you wake up a day after a season in press conference and the NFL has announced <laughs> that the team that you cover is headed to London with a 6.03 a.m. news release, you say, oh, boy, uh, there's really no time to rest when you're on this beat. But obviously, that's a development, David, that will uh, shape where the Bears go. Usually those games are in mid-October and uh, hopefully your passport is renewed. <laughs> we'll talk about uh, all that stuff. We'll get to the implications. And, you know, around the NFL, it's been an uh, unprecedented news cycle with Bill Belichick uh, <laughs> moving on from the Patriots, Pete Carroll being fired by the Seahawks. Oh, by the way, Nick Saban left Alabama in retirement, too. So three of the greatest coaches of this generation now leaving their jobs. But we will focus on the Bears. As you said, the news released this morning. The Bears will play in London, and they don't know who they will play yet, but it will be a home game, and it will be something that um, they have done before. I know you've been there covering that those games before. I, I remember covering one. has to be within the past decade. I think they played the Buccaneers that season, so it's been yeah. a while. But um, they played the Raiders over there. What um, what does this do to the schedule, and, and did you see this coming? Because I thought at last look they were headed to Brazil. 
Yeah, so a couple things that uh, are worth noting on this topic. Number one, I did know that they were going to be playing overseas somewhere and did sense that it was going to be London. There is um, a lot to kind of sift through here. This is the season where the NFC teams in the new 17-game schedule will play nine home games. The AFC teams will play eight. And so when you work your way down the Bears list of home opponents, you see the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jacksonville Jaguars are a bit of uh, adopted franchise in London. Uh, and this past year, they did the whole two games in London, one road, one one home, quote unquote, uh, over there in London. And so I would not be shocked if that is a, a setup that the league goes for again, uh, potentially keeping the Jaguars in London for two weeks and then having them host a game on their schedule and then travel to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the home away from home for the Chicago Bears. That's just a, a, a jump, a guess that I'm making here right now. Uh, the Brazil uh, possibility there, I think that there was a sentiment that you never really want to be the first team to go to a new venue. You want them to work out the kinks. So, uh, sometimes that's field-related, sometimes that's logistics-related, but um, it's always good to let someone else be the guinea pig for new sites, new countries, new venues. And so uh, the Bears will wind up in London. Do they announce? Uh, I know someone's going to Munich, correct? I think somebody's going to Munich. I don't recall which team is, but they're playing there. Uh, that was a priority for the league. And I believe and it was right. the Vikings, Bears, and Jaguars that were selected for the London series this year. Okay. And you're, you make a good point about Brazil, but you tell Cairo Santos that he's <laughs> not going because I think he was, sounded like he was looking forward to that. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure. And and uh, one thing that I've learned over my time on the beat is that uh, kickers don't have a lot of say in these kinds of things. And, and, and as much as um, our friend Robbie Gold tried to advance that, for kickers in this league by trying to get as much say as they possibly could in an organization. It's still uh, kind of uh, up to the higher ups to make those decisions and leave the kickers to get on the plane with their carry on luggage. The Carolina Panthers are the team headed to Munich and opponent to be named later. So that will be the, uh, the game in Germany next year. So they're going to be treated to that expansion team essentially because yeah. the Panthers are struggling, but American football is American football. So the Bears are headed to London. Adjust, adjust your uh, schedules and your budgets accordingly if you plan to go, if you're a Bears fan. I don't know what kind of advantages season ticket holders might have, but it would be a cool trip. Um, the Cubs played in London against the Cardinals uh, last June in 2023. The Bears headed there in 2024. Chicago sports fan can have fun abroad. Let's just hope that uh, – that was, you know, that, that Cubs-London game still kind of triggers me because that was the last time that, that Marcus Stroman was any good. And yeah. then he was bad from that point on. But let's hope the Bears have better luck over there. Well, and let's hope I have better luck over there because in 2019, the jet lag knocked my ass out for a few days. I had I had uh, struggles of, of adjusting more than I thought I would. And uh, there was a group of uh, writers that went out to a soccer game on Saturday morning. I said, you know what, I'm going to sleep in on this one. And ended up sleeping like 14 hours <laughs> from Friday night into Saturday because I was so, uh, so knocked out. So I'm going to have to find some uh, sports science to help me uh, make that transition a little easier. Dumb question before we move on off this topic. The Bears, in announcing this on Thursday morning, I broached this on the Mullen Haw show because I'm not really like breaking new ground, but I'm just curious what you think. Probably nothing. I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed to bring it up, but um, their Instagram announcement featured prominently Justin Fields yeah. and basically his giant face. Justin Fields. Come see Justin Fields in London with the Chicago Bears in October 2024. Dan, does that mean anything? No. 
Okay. I, I look like I got a note in our internal uh, Chicago Tribune Slack channel uh, uh, about that, and it's just, it's 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 just a thing. Like this is months away from the game being played. Chicago Bears are not uh, so low on savvy that they would show their entire hand on January 11th in an announcement of the international games. I like, just, it, you know, have fun social media, go, go, go about having the argument of what it means or what it doesn't. Um, sorry, David, to disappoint you with my answer. Uh, that's okay. I, I, I think it <laughs> confirmed my, my suspicion. I did not think it did, but I thought it was worth pointing out. I'm just curious. Are you now comparing my news judgment to the, uh, darts thrown at the, uh, dartboard in your slack channel um no i uh, know okay no they're, they're not comparable right now but uh, okay. be, care- be careful because i could open the door to compare them no i don't want to do that <laughs> i don't want to do that as an ex-tripster i know better i respect those people uh making those decisions all right so let's get to the news of the day the real news of the day as it pertains to this off season i think it's interesting that the first name that to emerge in the offensive coordinator search for the bears was Shane Waldron, the Seahawks offensive coordinator, who was suddenly looking for a job because Pete Carroll got fired. And Shane Waldron has been there for three seasons, well-respected, highly regarded around the league, a Sean McVay uh, disciple, if you will. So he comes from that kind of branch of the McVay tree. He also worked in Washington, uh, has a background that you look at and you say, okay, those systems – that approach, I could see why he would be appealing. Also had some success with the running game with the Seahawks. Dan, because he is first, does that make him uh, ahead of the pack? Or how do you interpret Shane Waldron appearing on the Bears list? Well, he was he was first to uh, be revealed, you know, and so we'll, we'll kind of wait and get a, get a feel for um, other candidates that the Bears will reach out to and talk to. You'd imagine they'd, they'd want to um, go through a handful. And listen, one of the questions I asked, Matt on uh, Wednesday evening was look like there's other teams that are going to be trying to fill similar positions. So how urgent is this for you? And he stressed that he did realize that there was an urgency to this. Uh, it's an interesting name for sure on uh, on a couple of levels and, and just the the idea that that he's got a track record of having been around um, some highly qualified head coaches in his in his time in the league. He does uh, you know notably run a system similar to the one that Luke Getze also ran here in Chicago, um, but obviously didn't call well enough to, for the bears to keep them. Um, you know, another name that's popped up on my radar from a couple of different people is Daryl Bevel, who is currently the, the Dolphins passing game coordinator. You probably remember that he was a finalist for the bears head coaching job in 2000, 2013 when they hired Mark Tressman, he was also uh, rumored slash linked to potential assistant coach openings when Matt Nagy was assembling his initial staff in 2018. So there's familiarity in the building. Uh, I believe he overlapped during his time in Minnesota with team president Kevin Warren. So there'd be in-building intel uh, in that regard. Um, but that name's popped up a little bit as well. You, you're starting to see kind of some overlap in the lists. You know, is, is Jim Caldwell a guy they reach out to again? Wow. <laughs> you know, is is Kellen, Kellen Moore on their list? What do we think of? Uh, Eric Bieniemy, um, you know the Greg Romans and Frank Reichs of the world. It's going to be an interesting few weeks, but but Shane Waldron's name uh, being the first out there gives you an idea that the Bears are are open minded and getting after this pretty quickly, considering that that came about twelve hours after they uh, told Luke Getzey he would no longer be a coach in Hell. It also suggests to me that 
all of the concern and consternation about how nobody's going to want to work in Chicago. Nobody's going to want to be uh, taking that job because of the lame duck status of Matt Eberflus or the uncertainty at the quarterback position. I just don't buy that. I mean, I, I just think that when you're in the business that you look at things differently than you do from the outside. And, and everybody looks like every coach believes that they can be the guy that fixes the problem. That's a chronic issue. And so I look at the, bear situation, maybe the chance to coach a number one overall draft pick uh, in a city like Chicago for, with a defense that, you know, is going to be an anchor, uh, pretty appealing. Well, look, like I, I certainly have never framed it as nobody is going to want to look at this job, but I do think that they may face a restricted candidate pool or at least an uphill battle in convincing certain candidates that this is the job for them. You used an operative word in that last sentence that you just said, which was maybe you may be able to coach a, a young quarterback draft prospect, or maybe they tell you you're going to have to try to reclaim the current guy, which again, as we've talked about previously, has less appeal to a lot of coaches in this league who might say, you know what, there's two other jobs open where I know they're drafting a quarterback and I can get out on the ground floor and use that as my escalator uh, in my career rather than trying to um, use what you're proposing for it. And oh. so th there is, you know, there is yeah. complexity to that. Fair and there, point. And there may be an impediment for, for certain candidates in that regard as I kind of slept on everything that happened on, on Wednesday and woke up on Thursday, David, my, my thought was it's easy to have knee jerk reactions to all of this. And that's what the fan base and to a large extent, um, you know, our audience is conditioned to do for me. The next step is seeing exactly who they hire before I cast uh, judgment or, um, have a celebration or point the blame game at, at anyone because I just need to know what this hiring process looks like and who they ultimately end up with. If they wind up with a, a an offensive coordinator slash play caller who we all go is, yeah, that's that's either a rising star or an established proven uh, talent at the position they're hiring for. I think we'll all feel a lot better about what happened on Wednesday, but until then, we kind of just play the waiting game, and that leaves for that uncomfortable anxiety that often triggers people into to having rants and, and explosions wherever they have their most famous rants and explosions. Is it unfair to think or to suggest that if you are a guy like Shane Waldron or the, guy, the candidates you mentioned, established play callers with experience, is it unfair to suggest that they might look at the bear situation and be curious and maybe even excited unless the job description was to try to revive Justin Fields' career or to make him into a more polished NFL quarterback. Um, ask that again. So, so I, I want to know, I want to know this because I, I, my, my inclination is that if I'm Shane Waldron and I'm probably going to be, pursued because of my experience. He had some success in Seattle. The numbers this year weren't the greatest, but I think he's well-respected. Helped unlock Geno Smith, yeah. You, yeah, so I think we agree that he's, he probably is a candidate that would be, he's going to have some options, right? Sure, yes, So if, exactly. if I'm Shane Waldron and I go to Hallis Hall, let's say I Uber to Hallis Hall. <laughs> I get dropped off. If I'm going to tell my Uber driver to stay there for until you hear from me. <laughs> if I get into the interview... And the first thing I'm going to, my, my first question is, okay, what quarterback am I calling plays for? If it's like, well, we want you to really rescue the career of Justin Fields or make him into a polished passer. I'm probably texting my Uber driver and saying, okay, I'll be right out in five minutes. <laughs> if it's like, you know, you're going to get a chance to 
call plays for the number one overall draft pick, a guy with a high ceiling who some talent evaluators think is uh, the best quarterback in the draft in, in several years, I'm probably going to text my driver and say, okay, I'm going to be here for a while. I'll, I'll text you when I need a ride. I, my point is that, like, is that going to be an impediment? Is, is, if they stick with Justin Fields, don't they have to declare that during the interview? And would that keep people away? Uh, okay, so there's a, there's a, a, a little bit here. First of all, Shane, I think uh, Peter, a friend of the podcast, Peter at the House Hall Security Shack is going to tell you to park the Uber down the block and maybe in the Abbott <laughs> lot nearby because we can't just keep clogging traffic here in the main drive. So let's get that under nice job, under, uh, understood yeah. here. Yeah, <laughs> kudos to Peter for the job that he does there. Honestly, one of the best employees they have there. Um, I don't think you can show your hand entirely because it, 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 for, for those who then don't take the job, your word is spread to the entire NFL world on what you're going to do at the quarterback position. And that's not a good way to do business when you're trying to uh, at least go through a process of, of deciding what you're going to do. So I don't think you can declare that definitively. And I do think that that's part of the complexity that the bears are going to face in this next stage of interviewing and, and attracting candidates and then ultimately hiring one. Um, I also think that for, these candidates, like num- first and foremost, you want to feel a philosophical connection with Matt Eberflus. You know, you don't want to come in here and feel like, okay, I'm restricted from doing what I do best because he's got a certain way that he likes to do things. And so you got to marry up. Hey, Mr. Defensive Minded Head Coach, how aggressive are you willing to let me be? Uh, we know that obviously taking care of the football and avoiding sacks is a big deal in your world. But if I want to unlock a few things in whatever quarterback I'm working with, can I, do I have a little bit more free reign to, to make some mistakes in the interest of, of the, like, there's a lot of questions you need to ask to, to form that philosophical connection with what is going to be your boss. Um, and then to the point that you just made, I think you are going to ask questions and try to get a feel on how the people in that building feel about Justin Fields, even if they're not going to declare, Hey, yeah, we're launching them. We're trading them on April 3rd, <laughs> you know, no matter what uh, you're going to want to have a sense and you can pick those things up in conversations. Uh, you can understand how they talk about that quarterback, what they feel about his current state of growth and where they see his potential going. Um, that's all business that, that these coordinator candidates are going to have to sift through there and they're going to have to keep their, <laughs> their Uber drivers close. Um, in some cases, they may have a, 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 a car service that brings them to have house hall. And David, in some cases, depending on how good the candidate is, there's a possibility that George McCaskey will be in the White Sox lot at O'Hare uh, with his car getting ready to drive said candidate to the building himself. So let's keep an eye out for that. Would he be in long-term parking or short-term parking? Usually short term, yeah. Okay, I, mean, I just didn't know it might save a couple of dollars. If you well, yeah, well, they, yeah, well, maybe you go down to the rental car lot and make them take the kiss and fly exactly. uh, shuttle over there, and, and 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 honestly, that's actually logistically a little bit easier. The air uh, trans as, as know, an O'Hare veteran, yeah, finally up and running now after several years <laughs> of being dormant. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. All right. It's just a quick question. So <laughs> I had a really move. stupid answer. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's move on from the offensive coordinator search. We'll keep people posted as things develop. Um, other news yesterday was it Ryan on during the news conference to end the season on Wednesday, Ryan Poles left no doubt that Jalen Johnson is coming back. He said he expects, yeah, Jalen's not going anywhere, I think is what exactly yeah. he said. Does that mean transition tag? Does that mean franchise tag? Does that mean contract extension? It means they're going to figure it out. It means obviously the optimal goal is to figure out an extension. Uh, and the way I read it from Ryan there was, look, like Jalen answered all the questions that he asked him to answer in 2023 when the negotiations stalled out and there was that whole trade request, trade exploration thing uh, in late October, early November. Both sides kind of agreed, like, let's just let this simmer, let it sit to the side for a little while, and when the season ends, we'll revisit. I would imagine here when the Bears get their other business kind of uh, secured and, and their arms around all that, then then you re-engage talks with the in-house free agents that you're intent on bringing back. Jalen's certainly at the top of that list, and you would hope that both sides could find a number um, and a length of, uh, in a contract that would make everyone feel good, and then we would check that box and beyond to other business because there's certainly a um, shared feeling that they want to stay united. And that's the, the greatest starting point for any negotiation. I'll throw one more secondary question at you before we move on to the stadium issue. The question was posed to Ryan Poles about Eddie Jackson. And, and it's something that I think I probably have overlooked. Maybe some other people have. He praised Eddie Jackson for not necessarily, he's not going to stand up there and say he's a great tackler because he's not not at the stage of his career. And he had some moments where that was exposed. He still plays the ball at times a little bit more passively, especially in the red zone for my liking. And I think that that has shown, but he, Ryan Poles was pretty adamant that the connection between Jaquan Brisker's aggressiveness and Eddie Jackson's presence on the field is pretty tight. And I think that's an important thing to remember. Also, when you have young cornerbacks like a Tyreek Stevenson, like a Terrell Smith, where to line up and what defense you're playing is not something to overlook. So that value, almost as a coach on the field and his experience, can't be, I think, overlooked when determining what he's going to play for next year. If you want him back, maybe at a reduced rate, maybe he's not worth the money that he is owed. Maybe they can restructure something. I don't know, Dan, but I've got the sense that just like with Jalen Johnson, somehow they may figure something out with Eddie Jackson that removes him from being a salary cap casualty and helps him return to be a part of this defense. Well, yeah, you make the the operative point there, which is reduced rate, you know, and and that it certainly would have to be something where um, they come way down from where they are now with Eddie's current contract structure and try to keep him around here. Ryan praised Eddie first and foremost as a communicator on the back end and and said that in kind of his full uh, zoom out evaluation of the team and the defense that he saw Eddie's presence as a communicator, make a big difference in how comfortable Jaquan Brisker was playing beside him, you know? And so that's notable because you got a, a young and emerging playmaker on the back end of your defense that 
plays better when he's got his right-hand man next to him. And so um, maybe a year from now, it's an easier decision because Jaquan Brisker has cleared that developmental hurdle and now uh, just kind of can, can run the show himself. But the fact that that chemistry and that cohesion has been there for two years and has worked out for Jaquan Brisker is something that they have to take into account. So um, I know Brad Biggs talked to, to Eddie late in the regular season about being open to coming back at a reduced rate. And Eddie said, this is the only place I've ever been. I, I don't really want to start over somewhere new in year eight. It would be great if we could figure something out. So that is one of those ones that uh, particularly for a starter on a emerging defense, you, you want to try to find a way to make that work if at all possible. And, and I think, again, both sides seem interested in at least starting those conversations and then we'll see where they head. Makes a lot of sense. Last news item before we get to the stadium discussion should mention that because the Bears draft where they are and because of the obsession with the receiver position, Marvin Harrison Jr. has declared for the 2024 draft. So it is official. He is not returning to Ohio State for all the NIL money that uh, Columbus could raise. There is also NFL money that he's going to be able to cash in on, and he will cash in on uh, in late April. I would imagine that he will get a uh, – contract signed pretty quickly after he is drafted and off he goes in his NFL career. Um, is it an in option for the bears? Obviously. Yes. You know, that, that, that's certainly something they have to consider as they uh, plot their course here. Uh, I don't see it being an option at number one for obvious reasons. You can trade that pick and get, get so much more, but if you trade that pick and you get down to four and you still got a decision to make, or, you know, wherever it may be there, it's just certainly a guy you got to do your homework on and figure out how you feel about him, And then, uh, and then make that decision when that day comes. So the most interesting thing that Kevin Warren said unrelated to maybe the process of the decision that was made to keep Matt Eberflus and fire Luke Getzey was, was in relation to the stadium project and the inclusion of Chicago as still a viable site. I don't know if it was just a leverage play. I, I don't know yeah. if it was more than a, a political uh, statement, but he was very eager to answer those questions and address the situation and went out of his way to make sure that everybody knew how much he loved Chicago and how much that still was a possibility of building downtown. You're good at this because you must be in, in sports talk radio for a living because you said that very well and, and you didn't try to say something that you didn't know. I don't know. And that's the answer I'm giving people. I don't know. I don't know if this is leverage. I don't know how much this is rooted around Kevin's sort of uh, think big, imaginative ambition that he has. I know that he likes to start with the grandest vision possible and then rein himself in from there with what uh, realistic parameters are. I think there's a part of Kevin Warren that has a vision in his head of an iconic football stadium, sports and entertainment complex that is plopped right in the middle of downtown with that beautiful Chicago skyline as part of the shot that you see every single time a national television broadcast comes into town to show it. And I think there's an appeal to that. Now we all know, some of the logistical hurdles there. Where are you going to put that? What land are you going to use? How are you going to possibly make that work? How are you going to pay for it? How is it going to uh, work within the, the structures there? You also own this 326-acre piece of property uh, in Arlington Heights, which Kevin acknowledged on, on Wednesday evening um, gives you more options because it's a big footprint. And you can do more with it. 
So there's a lot to kind of sort through as the Bears make their way into what I think is probably a pretty critical, you know, four to six month period here and making a decision. I think that this is certainly the calendar year where you're going to want to settle on location and then get those plans starting to move along. Because uh, as Kevin himself said on Wednesday, in in this market, (laughs) in in this industry, you know, time is literally money when it comes to to pushing these things off. Um, But I do think that it was the strongest sentiments expressed since he took the job a year ago that the door was open for Chicago. I don't know if you read it the same way because he said in multiple answers to multiple questions, a similar um, statement that led you to believe like, Oh, this is, this is more than just uh, a negotiating play. I think so too. And I think it was the strongest because it was the latest. And here we are almost a year into the process and I maybe naively thought that we would be further along in terms of arriving at a conclusion in terms of a site. And I thought that by now, you know, at the end of the calendar year 2023, I thought that the Bears would would have uh, come to terms with Arlington Heights and begun to, you know, get to begin the process of planning a breaking ground and and all the other things clearing hurdles because as he said yesterday, three months or 36 months, three years from the time that you break ground, you're going to be playing football there. I don't know where it would go, but I do think it's possible, I suppose. And yesterday was the first time probably uh, after the series of maybe what I would consider leverage plays yesterday was probably the first time I started to maybe seriously consider the possibility of it, of it remaining in Chicago or building there. A lot of logistical hurdles to clear and a lot of reasons why still remain in the best interest of the bears to build at Arlington Heights. If they're talking about profit only, but he did go out of his way. It was intentional. And I do think he was uh, focused on making the point that he loves Chicago and he wants the bear do everything he can uh, to see if the bears are still, if they still possibly could stay there. So we'll see. He called we'll it the finest. Uh, that. He, he called it the finest city in the world, right? And so, so there, there's certainly something to that where, um, you know, there, there, there's a desire to try to s- at least explore possibility until possibility closes the door on you, or you close the door on possibility. And so, yeah, that's again, I, I do think this is a critical period here in, in the coming months for them to do what you said you thought they would do, which is make greater progress in that regard. Most of the other conversation that Kevin Warren had revolved around his role in this decision, his role overall. We haven't heard from him much. We heard from him extensively on Wednesday. Dan, I'll let you set up what he had to say about his role in the football operations. Yeah, so I wanted to play a few clips from uh, Kevin and Ryan specifically and just interpret them because as we kind of let the dust settle from what that was on Wednesday, there's some things that are worth listening to. And the first clip that we have here is Kevin being asked about his role in football operations. We obviously know he's going to oversee the general manager position for as long as he's the team president here. We obviously know this is a pivotal offseason with a number of decisions on the football side that need to be made. Uh, And so he was asked directly what what do you see as your involvement in those football related decisions this offseason uh, and how do you fit into that I think one of the things that, that is special about this group is uh, this is not an ego driven group this is a group that makes sure that we're focused on getting to what is right and so it's been uh, an enjoyment uh, to work with Ryan uh, to work with Matt to work with George everyone else uh, in the football operations department 
I'm here, you know, as a resource. And I just want us to win. And my theory that every day from a football operations standpoint that I walk in this building, is there anything or anyone or any situation that I face in my career in the National Football League or even at the Big Ten that could help us win? And I think when people come to the table uh, with that mindset, uh, it works. We don't agree on everything. And so, uh, but but that's the good thing about it. We have a very healthy, respectful, you know, relationship. So my focus uh, on is that, is there anything uh, that I can do to help this organization uh, win, whether it's one football game, whether it's to get contact to hire uh, a coach that will help us move it along. And so I just look as, as, as a resource here uh, to be able to help us win. How are you at evaluating quarterbacks? <laughs> yeah, my next lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good answer. Yeah, and he's very thorough. I, I, that also makes it sound like he's going to be involved in the coaching search for the offensive coordinator. Yeah, but, you know, the the, the, the two sentences that I'd pull out of that is the, the kind of, you know, orange highlighter that I'm holding in my right hand is I'm here as a resource. I just want us to win. And I think that's what makes Kevin magnetic as a leader to someone like Ryan Poles is because you don't feel like um, you're working with this, you know, know-it-all boss. You feel like you're working with someone who's a resource who's trying to help you do your job at the optimal level. I know uh, most people would tell you that the, 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 the greatest thing that they can have in their job is is the support to do what they do at the highest level possible. And I think that's what Kevin's trying to provide. He also said we don't agree on everything. But I think in his um, words and his actions, he allows himself to let the people that he's empowered uh, in the roles that they have to to have the say in that. And if they don't agree on everything, hey, at least I gave you everything I could possibly give you to make the decision you have to make. I don't know how that applies to what went down here over the last three or four days, but it's certainly worth worth wondering about, right? It is worth wondering about, but I think it also underscores maybe what you said. I mean, I think he empowered Ryan Poles to have the final say on his head coach. I think we're inferring a lot, but uh, my sense would be that you know Ryan Poles was loyal to Matt Eberflus and may have made the strongest case to keep him. Uh, again, this is speculation. My sense would be just the way that Kevin Warren speaks, the lofty rhetoric. The results don't match the lofty rhetoric in this case, in terms in, in as it pertains to the head coach. So I think already he already has empowered Ryan Poles to do his job, and he trusts him to do. To, he trusts his judgment, and if he wants Matt Eberflus as a head coach, I think that he was had to be consistent with that in terms of his relationship with Poles. So very easy transition here to our next topic because part of Ryan Poles' job this offseason is to go and assess his quarterback situation and evaluate quarterbacks in the 2024 uh, draft class. Obviously, this won't be the first time that Ryan's ever been a part of a process like this. Most notably in 2017, he was part of that Chiefs organization as the director of college scouting when they went and hit the jackpot, the, the, the holy grail with Patrick Mahomes. And so he knows what the homework process is in going through this quarterback vetting process. I asked him on Wednesday evening, David, the, the, these next 10, 12 weeks of this process, what does he envision being the most important parts of the homework on that class? And what has he learned from prior experience that will help him vet the quarterback class going forward? I got a lot of confidence in our ability to see talent on the field. Uh, the human being, we got to figure out um, this, especially to be a quarterback in, in this city. You gotta have it right. You gotta have toughness to you. You gotta have mental toughness. You gotta be able to block things out. Um, so really, I, I gotta find out about the human beings. 
what are the key components of that? What, what will you do to learn wiring of all these guys? Spend time, spend time uh, reach out to the, the people that spent a lot of time with them through, over the years. Um, and then I always feel like if you can sit down and look someone in the eyes and, and spend time with them, ask them the right questions, uh, you can learn a lot. That was a portion of the press conference where he was talking about Caleb Williams. Everyone knew he was talking about Caleb Williams, but he never said the word Caleb Williams. <laughs> yeah, well, it, but, but it will be Caleb Williams and it will be Drake May and it will be J.J. McCarthy and it will be Jaden Daniels and it will be Michael Penix Jr. And like you have to obviously streamline your process a little bit so that you have a feeling on who intrigues you the most so you don't waste time when time is at a premium. Um, but certainly Caleb Williams is the most high profile guy in the discussion. He's certainly the guy who people all over the league say, the talent is off the charts. The tape is undeniable. Now it is who is the guy as a person. And Ryan described some of the things that he's looking for, including but not limited to that mental toughness to be uh, uh, the, the starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears, which Justin Fields and Mitch Trubisky and Jay Cutler and Rex Grossman and everybody else on down the line can tell you is a, a pretty demanding job. I think that Caleb Williams goes into this pre-draft process, whether it's with the Bears or whoever, and I don't know who his agent is, and I don't even think he's officially declared for the NFL draft yet, but I do think he has some reputational damage to repair. And so I wonder how that process uh, begins, and I wonder how aggressive he will be in that regard. Dave Wanstead said that you watch. He, he said this on the Mullen Hall Show. I've talked to him about this on and off the air. He said, you watch. By draft day, Caleb Williams will come across as classy and as polished as any prospect out there. And these concerns about his uh, maturity will seem unfounded and be, you know, kind of a hurdle that's easy to clear. I don't know about that, but I think that was his prediction just because he's seen enough prospects with issues and baggage kind of clean those up before the draft. Yeah, well, yeah, I think what Dave's inferring there is that obviously these guys over the next three months are very, very closely watched and coached to put their best foot forward and show the best side of themselves uh, in all these meetings that they're going to have. Um, I just think there is other ways to go about this as well. And, you know, you and I talked about an L.A. Times article that came out after the Southern Cal season ended, which was just with a, a beat writer for the Trojans program asking him some pretty pointed questions about how he handled the turbulence of this last season for him. And I thought there were some answers in there that were um, mature and offered perspective and, and gave you an idea that, okay, you know, if I am a prospective NFL team, looking to potentially draft him. I want to, I want to answer, get some of these questions answered myself when I sit down with them and, and dig a little bit deeper on some of the surface level stuff that he touched on there. Huge, huge process ahead. And, and the bears are going to be leading that process because they do have the number one pick and Ryan's sentiment there that you spend time with the guy um, expect to start to see a lot of, you know, reports surfacing that the bears are in California, that Caleb William is in Lake forest. And it's going to be a wild few months as the, as that part of the process uh, heats up. So what I think is probably the most chaotic uh, approach to this uh, quarterback conundrum would be keeping Justin Fields and drafting a quarterback, although that remains a possibility. And that's one of the questions that Ryan Poles addressed uh, on Wednesday as well, right? Yes. Yeah, so my brain has gone crazy all year just thinking about the just a million different scenarios, uh, but I'm sure that's that's one of them. Um, I'll just stay very wide open with uh, the different paths that we can go, and as we collect information, if that close you know closes some of those um, those pathways down, then we'll do that. Move to the other ones, but I'm going to be wide open about this. 
I'd be narrow about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I mean, this is one of those ideas that's starting to gain a little bit of traction. Um, and it just, for me, it's just like, uh, it's, it's a non-starter for me because I just, I, I don't think the Bears have enough uh, no. tent poles to hold no. up the big top, right? No. Like the, no, no, no. <laughs> and, and, I mean, and, we're still recovering from Bajan mania. Okay. I mean, <laughs> Chicago was four weeks, right? Like this, <laughs> that was a month. that felt like a year. Chicago's not prepared for two first round draft pick quarterbacks in the same locker room on the same depth chart. Just Both not. trying to prove themselves, yeah. you know, and, and, and like, it just, it creates, um, an unnecessary strain and a pressure, <laughs> you know, to Ryan's credit, he's going to keep his mind open. I, again, I think you and I are both in firm agreement that this is not something we would even start to think about. But don't be surprised if the Chicago Bears continue to leave that door open for the remainder of the next three months. So that's our biggest fear. Uh, but Ryan Poles was also uh, asked about Chicago's biggest fear and uh, the history of the Bears the last decade where coaches have inherited quarterbacks, quarterbacks of quarterbacks have not been in line or in sync and staffs that have not been in line or in sync. And yeah, you just draft the guy, you get yeah. rid of the staff that drafted them, you restart them, you reboot them. And it's just always misaligned. And that's the fear is it's going to be misaligned again. Right. Right. And so he was asked, how do you break the cycle? Look at the interview process, just bringing in the right people. Like I said, that can adapt and adjust and, and put players in the best position to be successful. Um, and then again, getting the, the players right in terms of the skill and the, the leadership and the person, uh, their character, getting that right. If you get those right, uh, I'm not I'm not worried about you know the history of different things. It's a different situation. This is to me this roster's built on really solid ground. So um, it's a little bit different of a, of a situation in my mind. Ryan, did you get did you get start to fill out the various positions, a bunch of them on offense. Do you have any concern that outside perception could be Matt's going to be entering a win now in 2024 situation? No, I don't. I think they're going to look at the roster and see there's a lot of uh, young, talented players on the roster that they really want to work with. That are, It's going to elevate um, that platform and elevate our team to be a championship-caliber team. And when you win championships, there's a lot of real cool things that happen with everybody. So I think they're going to see that as a good opportunity. So, David, I think I think both things can be seen. I think you can see this as an outside candidate as, as a, a really good opportunity to help elevate a team to a championship level and also see – Holy crap! If this doesn't go well, does the trap door open up beneath all of us in in you know eleven months? And so, uh, like, I, I think there's a maybe a bit of naivety and uh, optimism driven naivety in in Ryan's sentiment there. But obviously, he's going to sell the latter thing there, which is this is a chance to to really elevate a team that's coming together, and hopefully that appeals to more candidates than it. Uh, turns off with the idea that Matt could be in a winner else situation in 2024. Coaches have the hero complex. They always feel like they can save the day. They always feel like they can resuscitate a career or they can go into a bleak situation and make it bright. I think most coaches think that way. Certainly it's possible that somebody would look at the situation and maybe stay away or have a better option. But I think, I think number one, coaches do have that mindset. And secondly, as we talked about earlier in this podcast and we've been talking about this week, as Brad Biggs wrote about in the Tribune on, on Thursday, you draft the right quarterback and a lot of these concerns are moot points because they're good enough to transcend or overcome all the kind of incompatibility that we're talking about. 
Well, look, there's no question that that's the biggest piece. Get a great quarterback and a lot of these things go down. But also, if you get a good quarterback, it would be nice to not just shrug off the, well, it doesn't matter who's playing coordinator uh, you know, or, or who's calling the plays for us. You want to have that union and that marriage sync up so that both people can be at their uh, at their best together and bring out the best in each other. And that's the, what this next stage of this process will be. It's funny because you know the, the Bears are, are holding searches simultaneously for two coordinator positions. And we're not really talking about the defensive coordinator position because that entire staff is intact. And there's a possibility that Matt is still the guy that's calling the plays there. Um, but it was just, it, it struck me on Thursday morning that it was just like, man, like we're, we're, we're kind of glossing over the idea that this team has a open defensive coordinator position that became open because the previous guy in that role abruptly walked out the door uh, in September. And, and so that's, it's, it's, it's strange times in Chicago where, where really big stories uh, become lesser stories because there are even bigger stories that are pushing them down the, down the list. And I think people kind of look at the defensive coordinator uh, role as, as one that's it's in name only. Ceremonial. Because, yeah, yeah, it's ceremonial, and, and Matt Eberflus is going to call the signals. And plus, everybody knows that the guy with the inside track on the job is Phil Snow. So if you see <laughs> Phil Snow at Howell's Hall, please just let me know because I think he'll be secretly interviewing, and nobody will see him. He will be sliding in like he's the invisible man and sliding out the back door, and Phil Snow has – as good of a shot as any to be the next defensive coordinator. So I did the homework assignment that you refused to do, which was rearrange the letters in Phil Snow's name. And I came up with who is LNP. <laughs> okay. So for the, for, for the, uh, for the, the conspiracy theorists out there, that's the riddle. That's what you guys have to go. I actually, I'm going to put it on Twitter cryptically. As soon as we finish recording this podcast, I'm going to put out there who is LNP and see if people can figure out what we're okay. going with there and see if, maybe we'll come up with an answer. I like that because until he is in the flesh, I think he's a figment of our imagination. All right. So we covered a lot of ground. Anything else we forgot, Dan? No, uh, other than the fact that this is going to be a action-packed offseason and it started Thursday with a bunch of news breaking the morning after a bunch of news broke, the day after a bunch of news broke. So get ready because the, uh, the developments are going to be nonstop and uh, really, really exhilarating, right? Yep, so keep track of what we're doing pod-wise on at Take the North Pod on Twitter. You can check out at Dan Weederer. You can check out at David Haw on our Twitter accounts. Just keep an eye out for the next podcast. We'll try to stay up with the breaking news as it happens. You can find us on your free Odyssey app and you can watch us on 670 Scores YouTube page. For Adam Stadzinski, for Dan Weeder, I'm David Haw. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. Great talk. See you out there.